welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I am joined by Adam Adeski, who is an engineer who founded Sensely after his first-hand experiences of helping to coordinate the healthcare of his grandmother originally. A virtual health assistant platform is what Sensely described themselves as. And today they collaborate with insurers all over the world to help deliver superior experiences to their member bases, whilst at the same time increasing enterprise efficiencies. So Adam, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks, James. Very nice to meet you. You too, you too. We've been in and around the same circles for quite a while. I know you guys from uh, when I ran the Digital Health at London Accelerator, actually, and I think I was a navigator at the time, and you guys were one of the companies, and so I know Ivana, your co-founder, very well, Um, and so I hope she's doing okay. I haven't seen her in a while. Yeah, she passes on her regards. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Um, so whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Adam? It lo- looks from your background yeah. like it's uh, somewhere across the world. But <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I've been trying to actually figure out how to get rid of this background. But yeah, it has a, I don't know if this is a video podcast or a voice podcast, but I have Indonesia in my background. And we were just playing a little sales game where we're training our salespeople to respond to having conversations to various people around the world. And I was playing uh, the role of uh, an executive originally from Mexico, who's now living in Indonesia, who's an innovation director at one of the one of the insurers in Indonesia. And so I decided to really play the role by changing the background. But now I know I need to spend some time to figure out how to change it back. So it could be a bit normal <laughs> again. But yes, I'm, uh, I'm based in San Francisco. So I've, I've, been, I've been here for the last, uh, I don't know, 12 years or so working at various gates in Silicon Valley. And that's how Sensely essentially came about from uh, me kind of living and working here. Very cool. Very cool. So the way that we start these, Adam, is that I get you to tell your story. And obviously uh, you've got a background full of very cool stuff from engineering up to up to Sensely. But it'd be great for our listeners if you could uh, tell us a bit of your story. Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in Chicago after actually immigrating from the former Soviet Union, which is no longer around. Um, and... Uh, Really, uh, I went to school, uh, uh, I went to uh, college at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign uh, to study computer science. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously it's a kind of varied experience, learned lots of different tricks and skills of how to build cool products. But right out of college, after a few, uh, it was right at, right at the kind of the, doc, the original dot-com, dot-com peak in uh, 2000. <laughs> so I got, I got a job at like an e-commerce consulting agency, got fired really quickly because they downsized. About from you know about a thousand people to a hundred people in two weeks that was a fun experience but um i got a job at oracle uh in chicago oracle's based here in, in, the, in the bay area but they had a, a, a oracle voice lab so this department that they ran from chicago and the idea of uh, this department was basically experiment with new types of voice interaction technologies right so a podcast is one example of voice inter- you know voice only technology the, the focus that we had in Oracle Voice Lab in Chicago was what's called IVR, interactive voice response. And interactive voice response, if you remember, uh, well, there's a lot of it's still around, but if you call like a company over the phone, the customer service line, uh, and you get like a little robot, some of them are very pleasant, some of them are not, 
Uh, it's, it's a matter of design. We can go, go deeper into that. But the idea was we were building applications to make these interactions over the phone possible. So kind of the early AI chatbot delivered over the phone with uh, uh, a text-to-speech engine, a robotic engine that would talk to you, and then speech recognition that you could interact with as, 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 the, as the end user. So you can either speak, you can press you know, touchstone buttons on your phone. But the whole entire sort of interaction is, is very much like an application that requires a dialogue. Uh, and um, we use the language called voice XML to develop these dialogues. And voice XML is kind of a, 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 a version of HTML, you know, the language that you build web pages with, kind of directed towards the more pecu peculiarities and nuances of voice applications. So more turn-taking, like, you know, the computer says this, here are the kind of things that you expect the end user to say. Uh, based on that response, you do some branching and you do some logic around like, what is it, what is it that you want to say next? Do you want to transfer to a phone number, et cetera? So we're building these applications primarily for uh, applications that users use. So if I'm, a, if I'm a busy executive, you know, I can listen to my email being played to me over the phone while I'm driving, you know, to work in the morning. That was a, a pretty important use case. That was kind of a, my, my little claim to fame is I, I built one of the first uh, voice access to email applications where uh, people could, could listen to their email. Look at them oh, very cool. Theory and the others. And yeah, there's lots of other applications that could be built, both personal, uh, personal information management applications, like, you know, tell me my latest appointments for today. Or I, uh, I have a file in my, in, you know, before Dropbox, so the Oracle files kind of system, and you can take a file from your, your cloud file and you can fax it to yourself. You can just tell a phone number uh, and it would send a fax. And so we built these type of applications. Consumer applications were also popular, like getting driving directions from one location to another uh, while you're driving. Um, you know, kind of things that Siri does today, connecting to weather and sports and stocks and things like that uh, were very popular. So that was my sort of my early cutting teeth early in these kind of conversational uh, technologies. Uh, and that became the, the root or the seed of, of my career, where I basically moved on from Oracle to a company called Tell Me Networks, which specialized specifically uh, in these type of voice applications. And I had a lot of large enterprise customers uh, when they were around like American Airlines and E-Trade and uh, Humana, big, big enterprise companies. This is where I learned how to uh, work with large enterprises and sell to large enterprises, which is a very unique, unique process. I'm sure a lot of people in your podcast are aware of or know or, or are very much in the weeds of it. But yeah, the, this, this idea of, uh, you know, uh, interactive conversational technologies is very near and dear to me. And, you know, initially we started with voice, but really where the trends were moving to or where, um, you know, technology was moving to is around more of a multimodal experience. Uh, especially when the smartphone got introduced, it's not just a plain old telephone that you can now interact with. You have a full, you know, touchscreen. Uh, you have audio, obviously, in and out. You have lots of different other ways, like via Bluetooth, that you can interact with things. And so, I was very fascinated by this idea of multi-modality modality type of conversations, where it's not just a voice, it's not just a text back and forth dialogue, but you're bringing in other things. Uh, whether you're displaying things on the phone while you're talking uh, or you're measuring, let's say, a medical device via Bluetooth that's connected to your smartphone. But how do you build that all into an interactive, um, you know, conversation uh, into a way that makes the, the user or the patient or, the, you know, the, the member feel really good, uh, feel like they're getting educated and they know what they're doing, but at the same time, 
gathering, disclosing valuable information that uh, you know makes the processes smoother and easier to uh, interact with. So that's sort of the background and the and the and the, and the work that uh, had gone into it. And ultimately, what ended up happening after all of this experience, I ended up you know founding Sensely with that particular goal, focused on healthcare because um, healthcare is a, is a is a weird one, right? Because you know. At the end of the day, if you if you look at all the different conversations people are having about their healthcare, whether it's with their doctor, with their GP, with their you know, with an administrator, with with the hospital personnel, there's lots and lots and lots of dialogue and lots and lots of conversations that occur via this conversational mechanism. But if you look at if you looked back then, you know, this is like about seven years ago. If you looked at the industry back then, um, healthcare was sort of an ugly stepchild of everything that uh, all of these different companies and startups were doing. They were focused on the finance space. They were focused on, you know, insurance or travel and transportation, because you know all, all those things were you know capitalist type businesses, and they had a lot of um, uh, a lot of incentive to reduce costs, make the experience better, make it more um, optimized. And when I looked at healthcare there was very little of that type of technology in the healthcare space. Uh, it was difficult to fund. Uh, it was, uh, you know, not considered to be like a core, a core thing, uh, unlike practicing, you know, actually practicing uh, medicine. Uh, but I thought there was a huge opportunity there because a lot of these conversations that we have, you don't need to go to, to an actual facility to have these kind of conversations. Um, and uh, you don't need necessarily at all times to have a human to have these kind of conversations, particularly if you're collecting some very basic information, making basic decisions, but you as a GP should know there's, there's some basic kind of what we call low value tasks that everybody can do and everybody knows. And the idea was like, how do we, set, how do we create this kind of library of conversations, library of interactions that can really help smooth out some of the rough edges in medicine around, you know, making appointments or getting triage to the right place or answering basic questions. And so that was the sort of the seed of Sensely is building this type of library of conversations that we can deploy anywhere on smartphones, on regular phones, on text chatbots all over so that people would have this sort of, you know, uh, uh, entry point. <laughs> now it's called a front door uh, in their <laughs> pocket. Uh, that they could start the conversations about anything that was healthcare related. And that was sort of the goal and see those That's awesome. So at that point then, originally when you decided to go from an idea to reality, what was the initial problem that you were trying to solve? What were you focused on building from a tech perspective in that very first iteration? Yeah. Uh, by and large, it was a cost problem. Right. Starting with the U S but extending the UK and, Definitely NHS and other systems all around the world have the same problem. Uh, too much demand, too little supply, and very high costs for everything, for a lot of these different procedures and, 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 and consultations and other things. Systems are stretched. Uh, people are getting pushed out of the system because there's not enough time for them. High, higher death rates, higher, you know, uh, worse healthcare, et cetera. So the idea for us was how do we really bend the cost curve? How do we make um, these type of interactions much more cost-effective? How do we make them more fair and more uh, proper in terms of how we route things and what we recommend, et cetera? In the United States, for instance, uh, and the, the initial goal, I guess I should say, we focused on was how do we improve people living with uh, chronic conditions, with long-term conditions? Uh, in the United States, 
5% of the population consumes over 50% of the healthcare costs. If you look at that 5% of the population, and this is a $3 trillion a year right. industry in the United States, so 1.5 trillion of that wow. massive, insane number um, goes to primarily caring people for people with chronic conditions with who have diabetes or COPD or, or CHF. And the initial sort of use case or the initial focus area is that how do we actually uh, treat treat these people better? How do we follow up with them more often? How do we give them the right care at the right time at the right cost? How do we navigate them to the right, um, you know, uh, uh, healthcare setting, whether it's a hospital or GP appointment or telemedicine, depending on the severity of their issue and what they actually need. Yeah. So how do we sort of democratize in a way these workflows uh, to make them more efficient and to, uh, you know, to prevent lots and lots of hospitalizations from occurring with these chronically ill patients, which really happens when their condition exacerbates and they don't get the help that they need in a timely way, which happens quite a bit here in the US, uh, all over the world as well. And so that was the initial point is how do we really reduce that 50% uh, 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 number? Um, and, uh, and that was our main focus, cost, 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 uh, better access uh, based on that, uh, more care to the people who needed it more. Got it. So with that in mind, what was the product that you built initially? What did it do? What was its functionality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we built a virtual assistant. You hear that word a lot these days. You do. We call it avatar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our, our product uh, was a combination of kind of what I originally talked about, a combination of a, of a conversational assistant that you can text with, combined with voice, so it can talk to you and can talk back to, which makes the experience more empathetic, more natural, uh, especially for elderly people we found out who really like what that this assistant was talking to them rather than just seeing text on the screen. Uh, and uh, this, this assistant, this uh, multimodal assistant, uh, the original applications that we built with it was around congestive heart failure uh, and also around symptom triage. And so those two use cases, the congestive heart failure, which evolved to become more of a chronic care management uh, program once we started adding content to it and symptom triage are the two, two core products that we built that we started taking to market uh, initially in the U S and the UK. Uh, and for the CHF in particular, what, uh, what the assistant would do is that, you know, a patient would download it, uh, download it on their smartphone, download the Sensely app on their smartphone. Once they sign up for an account, they would get, they would start getting regular in-app notifications for, for them to check in. So, Let's say they, they were at a hospital uh, for CHF exacerbation. They just got released. We don't want to have you in a hospital for another 30 days. We're actually going to get penalized by Medicare if we have you back within yeah. 30 days. Finally, the U.S. started doing something about this at the, at the government level. Um, so let's have this assistant follow up with you on a regular basis to see how you're doing. And this follow-up kind of workflow is I'm the assistant. I'm Molly, uh, your virtual nurse. How are you doing today? Uh, you know. By the way, Adam, I can I can picture this because I can I the, whether there was like a big marketing drive or not, I don't know, but uh-huh. I I can remember uh-huh. seeing that that Molly, the nurse uh-huh. with the blue with with the blue top on at the top That's of the right. screen, and then the text at the uh-huh. bottom of the screen, and any time I hear or see even the word "sensely" now, that's that's mm-hmm. all I can see in my head, like straight away. Yeah. It was. Um, yeah, it must have been an lot, awesome marketing drive that you did to put that in, imprint it in my brain. But it, yeah, <laughs> I can see she's speaking, and I can, yeah, it's 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 so cool. That's cool. I'm glad we did something right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, or an agency, yeah, did, I, I don't mean, know, but someone. 
Yeah, that this idea of having this human-like assistant that would talk right. to you and talk back to you. I mean, we, we use the term brand ambassador sometimes because you do, when you see it for the first time, you do create a level of emotional endearment to it. You understand it. You kind of want to build a relationship with it. That's why it's in a way it's memorable as opposed to like a, a website that's sort of right. very, and at very the techy. time, I will also say at the time there was nothing like it around. It mm-hmm. was pretty unique and it felt very not futuristic because that feels a bit intangible, but like it, it, it felt like it was very, very innovative. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was super engaging because of that at the time. I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for that. that. That's really cool. Yeah, and this idea is that you build this relationship. So it's not just this kind of isolated relationship that you would have with some nurse or some GP that are not your, is not your GP. So yes. One of the goals was to bring that bedside manner back, but bring that long-term patient-clinician relationship back and and, and, and develop that, uh, that sort of uh, that relationship over the long term was a, was a key goal for us. And so with regards to this chronic program, you know, it would greet you on it uh, for CHF, it was on a daily basis. It would ask you how you're doing. It would take your weight. It would take your blood pressure. And we had integrations, Bluetooth integrations that we did with a blood, uh, blood pressure cuff uh, and a weight scale. So we would take uh, those two pieces of information. We would do some calculations on that, on that information uh, combined with what the, the patient had told us. And then we would calculate a risk level and essentially stratify that risk between, you know, this is a, a red risk, this is, you know, high priority for the clinician, this is yellow risk, medium priority, or this is not important at all. And so for the for the high end, you know, the medium priorities, we would send alerts back to the clinical team that was monitoring these patients, like, hey, you need to do something about this patient, their, you know, their blood pressure is going up, or their weight is spiking, um, could be a lot of water in the system, let's perform an intervention right away, rather than waiting weeks for the patient to show up in the hospital. And if you provide that information right, uh, provide that intervention right away, there's a very high likelihood, we calculated it to be something around 90%, that you would actually prevent a readmission from happening because you would be able to, uh, you know, as a, wow. I'm not a doctor, so I can't, I can't say all the things that the clinician did after they prefer, uh, received that alert, but they were able to do things. They were able to adjust medications, adjust various things to, to, to you know, create more steady. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that ended up saving costs that ended up obviously reducing hospitalizations. We had, you know, people, you know, didn't die, which was great. Um, and, uh, that was sort of the, the workflow or the process to uh, keep these yeah. patients safe and healthy. Nice. And that kind of style of, of, I suppose, remote, almost remote monitoring or patient reported symptoms and like asynchronous communication, all these, all these things are, are getting more and more common now, but you guys have been in this game for quite a long time and you've, you've raised lots of money. You've achieved great scale. Talk to me about where you're at now and what you're mm-hmm. up to. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as, as you mentioned, all those things are true. Uh, we've, we've definitely expanded. We've raised some money. Uh, we've been able to, um, you know, sell to large enterprises uh, in the market, including hospitals, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies. The larger the organization, the lo- longer the sales cycle, the more difficult the sales, sales cycle, especially in healthcare. The sales sure. cycles are extra long, right? Because you have doctors involved, you have business people involved, you have all of these different constituencies, and they all have their own processes uh, that they need to follow. So we've been we've been scaling in a company where software is a service, kind of a mid-level, I would say, software as a service company now. We have uh, five, out of, uh, five out of the top 10 
largest insurance systems in the world or payers in the world as clients. Uh, so I include both insurance, pure insurance systems that are global in nature, like Allianz and AXA, uh, Nippon, some of those things you, uh, uh, some of those companies you may have heard of, but also some of the largest single payers in the world, like the NHS, like Kaiser Permanente, uh, nice. Japanese government. Uh, and so that's sort of our niche where we're scaling. It's sort of in between these large single payer or uh, payer provider type of systems and uh, multinational insurance companies. And our product has been especially a good fit for this, this multinational angle where an insurance company wants to have influence wherever they play, not just in a particular country. One of the early things that we built into the product, primarily because of my passion, uh, is this ability to talk in multiple languages. Uh, and this is something I, you know, we learned very early on at Oracle and others is this, you can just, you can specify depending on the country that you're in, the kind of voice technology and the kind of voice engine that you speak to people. And this is very important. Healthcare is very local, right? You need to establish that, that local relationship, that local trust, that local, and you know, even the brand ambassador, the characters look, you know, regionally appropriate, depending on what country you're in. And so all of those little elements, the voice, the look, the content play a large role. And this is where we've been very successful in, in working with these multinationals all around the world. We've, we're deployed now in 13 different countries. Our products, wow, of course, awesome. uh, 30, 32 different languages. And uh, wow. usually insurance companies have us as part of their uh, end member apps. So um, we have a software development kit, and this is the way we also distribute in the market in that we don't promote our own app. Please download Sensely. We want Sensely to be you know, a global leader in whatever we're doing. We don't really focus on that. What we do is we act as a plugin, as a, as a, as a component of existing member engagement experiences that a lot of these other large companies already have. They have already made investments in their own mobile app or their own website, their own chatbot even. Nice. And we just go in and we just plug into that and we provide this That's sort of healthcare perfect. suite of services uh, that we distribute with them. I think what's really cool is that it seems that from day one, you've had this real focus if we go super micro you've you've had this focus on the relationship human to human and maintaining that and sort of building on the you know the general philosophy of healthcare being about caring for people and you've kind of got that in the dna of the company but then what's cool then also is how that plays and is appropriate to and has a business model for way up at japanese government level I think at the end of the day, the value mm -hmm. is coming from this super micro philosophy that you've had about it's about scaling the individual relationship for people and making sure we maintain that integrity. But it's it's all, it's nice in a way that we live in a world where that can be mm -hmm. applicable, you know, business wise to that sort of scale to sort of bring the value. If you see what I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're in a brand new world with regards to that because scale especially technical scale is now global uh, in nature it's not necessarily local anymore and the reason is you know you can you can distribute an app anywhere via the apple store or the google you know uh, the google play store uh you you know the 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 essentials of, of dialogue are basically the same no matter what language you're speaking country you're in right it's, it's about turn taking it's about you speaking you listening and somebody else taking that turn and that type of dialogue, that kind of interaction scales very well, very well globally. Uh, and the technology itself, like the speech technology, the voice technology, all of that has gotten internationalized over the last few years. The platforms themselves, even like the base platforms like Amazon Web Services or Google, 
all work in multiple languages. So I would actually advocate. So whoever starts a company these days, it's all about global now. We're a much smaller place, right? The world is flat kind of thing. And te technology has so much scale uh, that, you know, you'd be foolish, I would say, not to see how it would your your uh, whatever you're building can impact the world as a whole because it's just much easier to do that these days and obviously a much larger addressable market where you can raise more money so absolutely good. I, I i i absolutely love this notion it's you know global from day one think like that because that's the world that we live in i think that's so important and i want to ask you about how you scale a business before i do um have you learned any quirky elements about dialogue and language in different countries, just as a little side point. Yeah, we, we certainly have, and I'm not the greatest in talking about, we have a conversation design team, which are these guys wow. and gals with PhDs in linguistics. And this, this is sort of the, the brain trust behind the company where they develop these uh, conversations, but there's a ton of quirks, right? You have Asian languages that don't have spaces, for instance, uh, you have, wow. Languages like Semitic languages where you have to, uh, you know, read uh, left, uh, right to left and left to right. You have a, a particular voice versus text, right? In certain languages, you express yourself in text without vowels. But when you speak, you obviously need vowels. You need to send vowels for the engine wow. to pronounce whatever you're speaking correctly. So there's a lot of nuances. Arabic, I think, is one of the hardest languages that we've done. We're doing Thai now, which is also very difficult because it doesn't have <laughs> doesn't have spaces. But yeah, there's there's a ton of learnings about how language is structured, how it's read. Uh, there's a lot of things around empathy, how you greet somebody, how you thank somebody. Uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating domain. I think again, it's another domain that's getting uh, uh, internationalized very rapidly. But there's a lot of tools that do translation work or localization yeah. work. All of these things in mind so again kind of going back to that global first point uh language and conversation design and linguistics uh is a very important uh, part of this type of uh virtual assistant uh product development process i oh, love it so interesting next i want to talk to you about scale so mm -hmm. it's an it's a it's a really interesting journey that you guys have had because you've obviously found your product market fit raised lots of money and scaled into well you've scaled globally right mm -hmm. it's it's the way that everybody would like it to go essentially i'm interested in the challenges how practically you have overcome some of those like how do, how do you if you are thinking global from day one yeah. and you were to you know set up your operations properly and and the way that you did things i mean what have, what have you learned through that process of scale and yeah. how would you advise another company did that? Yeah. I mean, global is obviously a great goal to have and you want to have global design thinking and, you know, other things like how is this product going to actually impact globally when you actually start out, when you're trying to, you know, establish your product market fit, it does actually help to focus on one very specific <laughs> focus yeah, area. So definitely don't want to deny that. It's not like, Oh, we want to take over the world. Let's take over maybe a region or a country first. Then we'll uh, up level our ambitions a little bit. Um, but uh, what's interesting for us and where we've gotten that initial product market fit uh, is in the NHS and National Health Service. I mean, we work with Kaiser Permanente and Chronic Conditions, but the actual scale in terms of not just money, but people, like users, uh, came to us uh, with the NHS. And it didn't come to us from the U.S. market, which obviously is, there's a very important reason for that. We were 100% focused on cost. We wanted to make, you know, these inter initial voice interfaces were meant to automate 
a lot of the minutes that you necessarily didn't need people for it, just basic conversations and basic data that you needed to collect. Um, in the in the U.S. market, you know, doing this type of automation and this type of navigation is actually very hard to do a business model fit because it's a reimbursement-based system. So the way the reimbursements are written, they're like laws in a way where it says, sure. hey, if a, a doctor spends 20 minutes with the patient, you get a $100 reimbursement, right? But it has to be a doctor, right? Nowhere in the law it says it could be some other system. Yeah. So the, the laws in a way for this kind of reimbursement where you have private insurance companies uh, working with you know hospitals become very archaic because they're out of, become out of date very quickly. With the NHS, uh, as you know very well, it's a single-payer system. So there's Indeed. an overarching focus at, at the national level on efficiency, on cost reduction, on access, on equality. Uh, and our product was actually really great for that because uh, the, the, second, the second piece of the product that we built, Symptom Triage, was very much focused on taking any, any person that needed healthcare help with that Olivia or Molly uh, avatar that you mentioned, having a conversation with them, understanding their symptom, understanding the severity of their symptom, and then making an appropriate recommendation for what to do next. Uh, you know, the, the, the triage piece that you're probably familiar with, either yeah. uh, setting an appointment with the GP, going to the call center, which in the, in the UK is the 111, um, you know, providing some self-help, self-help information. And the idea there is that it was a, it was a, it was a great system because it's large, you know, 60 million, 60 million members. It's, it's national, meaning there's very, a lot of similarities between the different regions that you go to. So there's not like wild, wildly different rules and laws like they have in the States, wherever, whatever state you're in. Um, and there's a lot of motivation behind making it better. It's a passion, right? If there's, as you know, it's, it's, it's almost, you know, very, um, you know, a very sort of important, uh, important thing to the people of the UK. To, uh, to have the system. And so we were iterating a lot with it, but it also serves as a great example for how the, the rest of the world should work. Because if you can technology enable a national system and make it very efficient, you can apply those learnings pretty much anywhere. So I would say that our initial product market fit was with the NHS and we actually proved with the NHS through our steering, uh, through the navigation that we, we can save them for the population that would use us about 20% of the cost by shifting oh, people away. Um, yeah, we call it a channel shift, right? So uh, what we do is you make, you know, you go through the symptom triage, you make a recommendation, see a GP or make an appointment, uh, do telemedicine, et cetera. We would then compare our recommendation to what the patient would otherwise have done if they didn't have this recommendation given to them based on their symptom. And, and a lot of the time what happened was that uh, a lot of the time what happened would be that the patient would choose to go to a higher cost service, like an A&E, for instance, because they didn't really know what they had. And, you know, let's go down to the nearest A&E, wait in line and get my answer or book an appointment rather than calling 111 or calling 111 or booking an appointment rather than just looking some stuff up on NHS choices. And so what we calculated with our, with our, you know, traffic model is that 20% of the cost was actually shifted down towards lower costs, more, more appropriate services. And that is actually a model that, um, is great. You know, you know, if you can guarantee the, the quality of the service, the engagement of the service, you can go to any insurance company, you can go to any, you know, single payer system, any system that's really capitated. And you can say, look, you have your patient population now, this is what they're doing. We're going to put this assistant in front of them. And before they do anything, they're going to go through this triage first. 
And based on the triage, based on all the data that we have, we're going to get, you know, basically guarantee you that you'll save about 20% of your cost. And, and that model, by the way, could only, and it can be done at scale, look at the NHS and kind of the, the work that we've done there. Um, and so that, that was a very sort of strong piece of evidence that had enabled us to create a model where we can scale anywhere with, with, with this type of cost reduction. Absolutely. In order to achieve that, especially globally, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably not just a few of you anymore, is it? There's probably a huge amount of people behind you in, in lots of different teams. You mentioned like an international linguistics team and all of this, which is pretty cool. Yeah. How are you structured as a company? How big are you as a company? Like how many people are you? And, and have you got any other funky teams going on that are doing all this stuff? You're, yeah. doing, you're doing like sales games by the looks of your background. You know, that stuff. You <laughs> start, there's some interesting stuff going on. Tell me about the team. To be honest with you, maybe I don't know if this is a dirty little secret or not, is that we're actually really small. We're about 20 employees, 20 core employees, Um, experts in various fields, right? We have clinical experts, linguistic experts, technology experts. But again, this is the the trick of of startups these days is you actually don't need a lot of core employees to build something uh, unique and and, and scale it widely. Uh, And this is what we learn. Actually, bigger teams large teams are way slower than small teams. Uh, I know uh, some competitors that we have, some other uh, sister or brother companies that we have that are way, way larger than us and they're struggling. The problem with startups is that once you scale past a certain size, the people become, the individuals become less and less productive. It's just harder to coordinate stuff. A lot of mistakes get made, a lot of communications get lost in the process. That's a death trap with, with customers, especially customers that are betting on you early. You need to provide that core expertise directly to the customer right away. I'm still on most of the customer calls. My co-founder is our, our top management team is because we know how important uh, it is to build that relationship with that customer and have that customer trust you. You don't want to send some second or you know third or fourth tier person to start working with you because they're not as trained. They're not as knowledgeable about the things that the, you know, the client, especially the insurance company, the hospital care about. So we've purposely kept the team very small. You know, we have lots of agents and, sure. and uh, you know, uh, partners. Uh, we have a big ecosystem of, of different resources that we can go to. But we leverage that ecosystem that we need, that when we need to, not necessarily like, hey, this is all part of the company and they all need to be within the, within the same boat. We, we haven't found that to be tremendously scalable in the stages of where we are. So my advice to young entrepreneurs actually don't, you know, don't think about hiring a ton of people and being cool because like, oh, you have 100, 200, 300 people. That's actually when I look at companies that are fairly early in the game and they've hired so many people, I, I look at them being they've become inefficient and way, way faster. Uh, and some smaller company with a core idea will just outrun them really, really fast. That's not a good thing to have. It's, it's until you really, really established, you know? Yeah, such, such, such a good point. I suppose the sales cycles are long enough without you slowing them down at your end as well as at their end, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the sales cycles, I mean, look, it's it's a very interesting cycle because I, I talked about this on another podcast I did recently, but you're essentially doing free free work, free consulting work for your prospect for about a year before they decide to finally trust you and deploy you to their live users. And in order to do that, <laughs> year's worth of consulting work, you have to have really great expertise and you have to have, you really <laughs> yeah. have to have the faith and with the NHS, it was about a year long sales cycle. And you really have to have the faith that this is the right, you know, client for me or the right partner for me at this time. 
and they can take me to that to that next level. But sales cycles in this business are tough. Uh, it really, really helps when you do a consultative based sale where you're going in there, not just as a salesperson. We don't have really any salespeople on the team. We have a couple, but they're also experts in their field. It's really an expert going in there and sort of like looking, looking at, you know, what is there currently looking at the problems that they're trying to solve. Are you trying to reduce costs? Are you trying to improve engagement? Are you trying to get more members? And then using the sort of the technological pieces or the platform that we have proposing almost a bespoke, somewhat of a bespoke solution of how it specifically fits into their business model and into their infrastructure. And that's a, you know, that, that type of sale is, is hard. It requires uh, good expertise, but founders, founders are great at this type of sale. I like to say that like founders are the best salespeople because they're the ones that really understand the product and know how it can fit into all of these different various scenarios. So uh, basically the whole, I mentioned we have about 20 people on the team. Uh, originally when we started building the team, the, the mantra was everybody must code. We're building the product. You have to understand nice. some technical piece of the product. It doesn't have to be really fancy, you know, just do some stuff in the spreadsheet, export it to JSON or something, like that, but understand how kind of like the machine yeah. works, how the mechanics all fit together. Everybody needs to understand it. Everybody needs to feel close to it. Now the mantra is everybody must sell. The product is built. It's pretty good. You know, uh, there's lots of different ways to position it for different types of clients, but you got, you need to be aware of that kind of quote-unquote programming as well to be able to communicate, uh, you know, the value of the product to the client. Molly and Olivia can sell it, right? Surely. You, <laughs> surely you've just coded That's that really in now. Goal, they, just, they just go around the world. <laughs> no, like when, I, when, I'm, when, I, when I'm on sales calls, call, calls now, it's like, it's funny, right? Everybody's on Zoom and you can like Slack or you know, do some sort of messaging while you're yeah. Zooming. It's like... I have a team around me. I'm like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm, I'll be the avatar. You guys feed me the text that you want me to say on, on the screen, and I'll just say it. <laughs> and we can make it super automated that nobody really sweats in these type of conversations. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, what was I, I going to ask? Oh, yeah. Uh, tell me about what's next for Sensely, because obviously, what was it, 30, to dif 30 different countries? There's plenty of other countries I suppose you could conquer and lots of dif different things you could do. I'm interested yeah. in what's next on the product roadmap, first of all, I guess. But then I suppose, are there any plans for, for greater scale and things like that? Yeah. Yeah, on the product side, we're really trying to improve the intelligence of the product, right? Okay. To support what does that mean practically? What does that mean is that uh, one of the core pieces of the product, the core IP, is a natural language processing engine, right? Yeah. Where we try to understand what the patient or what the member wants. Uh, I have a headache. I have a fever. My back hurts. I have diabetes. How can I treat my diabetes? I need to lose weight. You know, I want to sleep better. All of these different things that people come to us and say that they want to achieve as far as their healthcare goals, whether they're episodic or long-term. Uh, and so we're continuously improving that understanding of what the member wants or what the patient wants uh, and ultimately redirecting them or assisting them in a ways that we can do, can do best. So original product, you know, symptom triage and some follow-up for chronic care management uh, patients. Now we've moved, uh, we've moved more into what's called a hospital or an insurance front door. So in addition to doing clinical related kind of intents and use cases, we're doing more administrative uh, use cases like, hey, I want, you know, to, uh, I just had a baby. What should I do? If I want to add it dependent to my policy or, uh, you know, I need a specialist for, you know, this type of condition or issue that I have. 
uh, or, um, you know, I, I need to sign up for a new benefit. You know, I just changed my job. And so we're adding, we're adding these uh, more insurance and administrative related workflows to the assistance. So it's becoming both a virtual nurse as well as like a virtual, virtual agent, uh, since a lot of our work is with insurance companies. Nice. And it's also becoming smarter rather than just answering the question and, or maybe leading them to a website or a phone number. We're now engaging more with the member. We're asking more personal questions uh, about their condition where uh, we're trying to make suggestions that are appropriate in their local territory or their local region. Uh, and we also have kind of what we call one of the key features in the roadmap is a smart follow-up. Depending on what you talk to us, you know, on day one, on day two, three, four, or five, based on what we learn from you, and we do some, some machine learning, some human learning on the inputs uh, and the conversations that we, uh, that we have with, with our patients, we're then able to generate some more continuous subsequent conversations to have over with the patient over time. So if I want to follow up, you know, a simple case is a, is a triage, right? If you do a triage and let's say we recommended to call the 111, we'll follow up, we'll follow up with that patient a couple of days later. It's like, hey, how was your experience with the triage? Did you get your issue addressed? Would you like to do another uh, would you like us to give us more recommendation or another another triage to an appropriate uh, uh, or signpost you to an appropriate place? Uh, by the way, during the last conversation, you indicated that you had diabetes. We have a di diabetes program where we can follow up with you on a regular basis. Uh, we can send you a glucometer where you can measure uh, your, you know, this information with. Uh, so it's generating these like further cases to build that longer term engagement over time. And that's a very important metric in industry. It's not just about the episodic, you know, you want, you, you do uh, insurance companies, healthcare systems. You know, it's cool. It's cool that you have a front door where you can sort of act as a as a concierge initially when when patients come in. But it's even better if that this assistant becomes your friend or your uh, companion, follows up with you over time, learns from you, offers unique services that are relevant, specific, personalized specifically to you. And this is the core of the work in our in our product that we're doing to make this assistant more engaging, more usable, friendlier over time. Um, that on the product side, on the business side, really, you know, it, it feels like we've gone all over the world and, and deployed everywhere, but really what we've targeted is a very kind of top end of the largest insurance companies and healthcare cool. systems in the world. We have a unique enough product and they have a, you know, they have a unique enough reason to differentiate and compete against the, the competition. And at that segment, it's a very, you know, very strong, very you know, tough competition. So we focused on the very top, like the richest, largest uh, organizations in the world. And now uh, in the business side, we're also going down market. What's interesting is that with these larger organizations, what, ha what that has enabled us to do is kind of what we call land and expand, scale from one country to another. If you take like an AXA or an Allianz, AXA is in like 60 different countries. Allianz is in like 70 different countries. So they take our product and go from country to country with it. The nice thing is, as we go from country to country, we, we localize that product to that particular country with the same client. That's how we expand with that client. But once we localize that product, we can now go after that particular country and all the different companies and organizations within that country in that language. And that allows us to sort of have this kind of viral scale where we start with the top end of the companies. And once you go into the unique countries, now we have access to those markets. Uh, and so that allows us to scale in those markets as well. So that's how the kind of the, the virality of the scale, I guess, if you will, is, is happening. Awesome. I think the thing that sticks out for me is that you're seemingly solving problems end to end. 
And it seems that that is providing so much value. It seems that you can do that, as you say, at that very top level. And the way that you're building the product mm-hmm. means that, as, you, as I say, you know, you're getting this breadth to really start solving more bigger, different problems. But ultimately, as I say, it's it's end to end. And I, I think that's what's clearly allowing you, well, you got product market fit pretty quickly doing that and also the scale pretty quickly doing that as well. So um, I think it's awesome what you're doing. I see, but you've been in the game a long time. It's no surprise that you've got such a good product on your hands um, because I think a lot of people are coming round to ideas that you've had for, for a fair amount of time. I might be biased because I was working with you a long time ago, but um, yeah. it's on that, on that accelerator, the NHS accelerator that, that you guys were on yeah. when I was there. But um, I, big fan of what you're doing and as i say every time i see your name i still see that olivia molly avatar in my mind um i absolutely love it um adam it's been a pleasure having you on um and great catching up uh say hi to ivana for me and uh my final yeah. question would be if anybody is looking to get in touch with you or sensely what's the best way for them to do it uh you can just email me directly adam at sense.ly or sensely.com adam at sensely.com you could uh, you can go to our website and you can fill out a little form says get in touch we're we're available via the standard social channels twitter you know whatever (laughs) linkedin so yeah plenty of ways to get in touch awesome thanks so much adam all right thanks james i appreciate your time hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.